everyone. Welcome to today's episode. I am reading Neville Goddard's lecture from 1964 titled Binding and Loosing. All right, so Neville tells his audience tonight's subject is binding and loosing. It may be an odd title, but you'll find it a very practical one. When we open the Bible, we are in the midst of mystery. But I promise you, every one of you, everyone in the world will one day experience, experience scripture for himself. And then, and only then, will he know how truly wonderful it really is. It's all true. Don't change it. Don't attempt to change it. It's altogether true when you experience scripture for yourself. This segment is taken from the Gospels. That is, not the Gospels, but in the book of John we are told. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Verse twenty twenty three. That is true, and one day you will experience that in depth. But tonight, on this level, we'll show you how altogether marvelous it really is here before you experience that in depth. But I mean every sin is forgiven in depth, everything. But on this level, you and I can forgive it. But now we must search the scriptures. We're told this, as said to the disciples. And you might think you are not a disciple. May I tell you that you are, if you are willing to accept the story of Jesus Christ, as told you in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. That Saul went out to find all the disciples of the way. The early Christians were not called Christians, they were called people of the way, those who believed in a certain way of salvation. And he went out, determined to find anyone that he could, or that, I'm sorry, determined to find anyone that he could find of the way. Yeah whether they be male or female, and bring them bound into Jerusalem to be condemned. Now here in the scriptures, if you read the story on the surface, there was no man made a disciple. But in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, they are anyone, regardless of sex, who accepts this way of life as a disciple. So I say to you, if you believe this story, the story of salvation, you are a disciple. And to you it is said, if you forgive a sin, it's forgiven. If you retain a sin, it's retained. What a responsibility. But in the same book, the wonderful Bible, we are told, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. You'll read that in the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews, verse 22. Now these words are true. Then what does it mean? To this very day in the year 1964, there are those who believe on a certain day called the Day of Atonement that some living being must be destroyed for the salvation of those who will adhere to the law, and they keep it literally. I'm not taking it on that level. That's the most external of all levels, where we do everything on the outside in the hope of appeasing some God. I take it on the next level, the psychological level, where you and I tonight can prove beyond all doubt the truth of this law. And it is true. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. If you take it literally, it would be the 24th chapter of the book of Exodus, where something alive was slain. And then the blood was sprinkled on the altar and then sprinkled on those who were present. And then came the atonement, and you wonder what is this atonement? The English word atone originally meant at one. It's an at one. I must perform a certain act to become attuned or at one with a state. 
But how could I do it? I do it only by the shedding of blood. Now we are told when man really discovers it, it is the blood of Christ Jesus that must be shed. Well, how could I shed the blood of Christ Jesus? Yet I am told without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Therefore, what is this? What is sin now? Sin is missing the mark. If I have a goal in life and do not realize it, I am sinning. I don't care what the world will tell me. It's the one sin of scripture. If I have a goal, and I am told, if I had not come, if I had not come unto them, and spoken unto them, they would not have sin. But now that I have spoken unto them, they have no excuse for their sin. John fifteen twenty two. If someone did not come into my world and tell me that I am not adjusted to the environment into which I am born, I could transcend it. I am not the being that seemingly appeared in this world, and that is it. I could transcend it. If I am told I could transcend my environment, and then I desire to transcend it, and I and I don't, I am sinning. If someone didn't come into my world and tell me I could transcend my environment, I wouldn't know sin. But someone comes into my world and tells me I can transcend the being that I am, and at that moment he stirs me and disturbs me and makes me ambitious to transcend that which I am. And if I don't realize the being that I would like to be, then he made me a sinner. So to whom did he come? He said, "I did not come to the righteous; I came to the sinners. I came to make them sinners, and then to redeem them. Those who are complacent, who are satisfied with what they are, I did not come to the righteous. I came not to the righteous, but to the sinners. So he comes into the world and tells man a story. But now, what is the blood of Christ that I have to shed? I'll tell you. Christ is your own wonderful human imagination." Christ in you is a hope of glory. Colossians one twenty seven. It is Christ in you that must be awakened from this death. So, if I would now shed His blood, how would I shed my own imagination's blood? Well, now I am in a certain state. I am aware that I am a certain man, and I desire to transcend it. I want to be other than the man that I am. I have to die to that man. Therefore, blood is shed. I detach myself mentally from the man that I am now keeping alive, and I become at one with that state of consciousness, the new man that I want to make real in this world. So we are told in Ephesians, "Be imitators of God as dear children." First five one, and we are told in the same book, Ephesians, He creates in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Verse two fifteen. He creates in himself one new man in place of the two, and this way he makes peace. So, if I am now disturbed because I am not the man that I want to be, there's conflict, there's war. The only way I can find peace is to create in myself the one new man. I must become the man that I want to be. A very able, in fact, the greatest writer in the English language, put it into the character called Hamlet, and tried through this story to instruct on it. We think because he's a playwright. Well, that was simply written for entertainment. That was written simply to entertain the world. Don't believe it. 
one of the greatest educators of all time you'll find in Shakespeare. So here he takes Hamlet, and Hamlet is now made to tell his mother how to transcend herself. He said to her, "Assume a virtue if you have it not. Refrain tonight, and that shall lend a kind of easiness to the next abstinence. The next more easy for use can almost change the stamp of nature." Act three, scene four, and you try it. You can take it tonight and restrain tonight. Restrain what? The impulse to sleep in the consciousness of being thwarted, of being the man that you don't want to be, and just as one night restrain the impulse to fall asleep in that state, but don't fall asleep in a vacuum. Fall asleep now by assuming a virtue that you have not. For she didn't have the virtue of mercy when she actually aided in the destruction of death of her husband, through a passion that she wanted to. I would say appease. And so she certainly was not merciful. She was not of pity. She was not of love. And so he asked her to assume a virtue if she had it not. What virtue? Well, he didn't name it for her. He allowed her to select the virtue that she would like to assume, which currently she did not possess. And told her if tonight you would refrain the impulse to fall asleep in your last night's concept, and this night fall asleep in the assumed virtue. Just once, tomorrow night you'll find it easier, and the next night still more easy. For I tell you that even if it doesn't happen the next day, the next day you can always change the stamp of nature. So if you came into this world stamped with the venom that is yours, the horror that is yours, the unmerciful picture that is yours, it can still change that stamp of nature if you'll try it tonight. So he tried to persuade her to assume it. So I will say to you tonight, if you want to be successful, if you want to be, I don't care what it is, but you name it. I hope it is something lovely, something marvelous. The whole vast world tells you that you could do it, or that you could not do it. I have been sent to tell you that you can transcend your environment. You can transcend anything in this world that you seem to have at birth, or you seem to have today. You can transcend it by assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled. I will tell you that imagination will do nothing for us, nothing that we wish, until we have assumed the wish fulfilled. It will do nothing until we have assumed the wish fulfilled, and imagination is Christ. And so, if I now give up my present concept of myself and dare to assume that I am the man that I want to be, have I not died to my former state? And that was the shedding of blood. That is the shedding of blood on the psychological state. I don't go out and buy a turtle dove or buy a bullock, or kill some little animal in this world in the hope of appeasing God. I shed the blood of Christ, and the blood of Christ is my own wonderful human imagination. For God became man, that man may become God. He actually became us. So, if I am told when I started the dream that whatever. Anything in this world, no matter what it is, if you forgive it, it is forgiven. If you retained it, it is retained. But am I not told I must ask for your consent? I don't ask for your permission to do it, and I need not tell you I am doing it. Maybe you are totally unaware that I am doing it. Therefore, if you are unaware that I am doing it, and I am doing it without your knowledge or your permission, then is this not true? That all that I behold, though it appears without, it is within.
in my imagination? Of which this world of mortality is but a shadow? If I don't need your permission to forgive you, and I need not tell you that I'm actually forgiving you, and I perform an inner act which results in an outer change in your world, are you not within me? If I, or if I do it, well, is it done? May I tell you, I could tell you unnumbered stories to support that claim. It is true. A lady called me yesterday morning to thank me for something she'd asked of me on the morning of the 29th of December when I spoke to Dr. Palmer. She asked me for a certain something, and it was, would I please release her from this problem? And so in my imagination, I simply assumed that she had called and told me of the good fortune or the good news which she called yesterday morning. But then she shared with me a lovely piece of good news. She said, you know, I can't come to you at night anymore. I don't like to go out at night. (coughs) Excuse me, but I do put into practice what I heard from you over the years. And a friend of mine called me up. She goes to Santa Barbara in the summer and goes to New Mexico in the winter. In New Mexico, she lives in a trailer. She called me and told me that they told her that the trailer had changed hands. That is the place where they're all parked and that she wanted to sell. So I said, all right, it's done. You have the check in your hand and it's all done. Then she called me back and told me that she had just heard from the people who were living there that there are 17 trailers for sale and because of the change in management, all things are going to pot and that no one can get anything for a trailer today. I said, I'm not asking you why you're going to sell it. You want to sell it? and you sold it for the sum of money that you want. She went off to New Mexico, and within one hour after she arrived, in spite of the 17 trailers for sale, she sold her trailer at the price she had stated. Not one penny less, not one penny more. Someone within one hour bought her trailer in that trailer camp, and if that works once, and you can repeat it, and then repeat it, and repeat it, we have found the law of the forgiveness of sin. For sin is only missing the mark. And if no sin can be forgiven without the shedding of blood, I have found what the shedding of blood is. The shedding of blood is the Christ's blood. While Christ is my imagination, and I gave up that which I made alive, if I give up something I made alive, I shed its blood. I took myself out of one state and put it into another state. So I put it in one state called the check is in your hand. And therefore, I took it from the state where you are trying to sell and put it into the state where you have sold. I take it from one state where you are not the man you want to be and put it in the state where you are the man that you want to be. So in making this transformation, I died to one state and in dying to this state, I then fulfilled the book of Ephesians. He creates in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And so he makes peace. In the depths of yourself, you'll see that's done. That's another depth. But on this level, it's done here. One day you will know how he does that in depth. And that is when he becomes you. And not you and another, not you and God. God actually becomes you. And you will know then what it means to be one with God. And what it means for the whole vast world to be God. He has one wonderful symbol by which he reveals it. And that is his son that no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, Matthew eleven twenty seven. And so when the Son appears and reveals you as Father, 
and you know he's going to reveal everyone as father, then you know we are all one. We aren't really two, for if I am the father of your son, and you know that son, and I know that son, and we are both the father of the same son, then we are one. Although seemingly we are fragmented into numberless parts, if all are the father of the one son, then we are one God, one father. So that day will come when you will know that. But before it comes to you individually, you can take this marvelous revelation and try it on this level. So you are commissioned to go into the world and forgive sin. If you retain it, it's retained. If you forgive it, it's forgiven. And whatever you forgive is forgiven. So try it. Start this very night to forgive sin. By starting with yourself first, look at yourself this very night and ask yourself if you really are the man, the woman that you really want to be. If you're satisfied, perfectly all right. But I, but I doubt that anyone is really satisfied. For when he comes into the world, he comes and he brings disturbance. If I had not come unto them and spoken unto them, they would not have, they would have not had sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. John fifteen twenty two. So when Christ comes into the world of man, he disturbs them. Prior to the coming, they were quite satisfied to adjust to the environment in which they were born and perform the external act of sacrifice so that once a year they could perform some little sacrificial act. But then one who heard him clearly said, I see as I pass by that you are observing days and weeks and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored, labored over you in vain. Galatians 4.10 So when one thinks that only one day of the year atonement comes, I have labored over you in vain. Atonement comes at every moment in time. Every moment is the at one. One can attune or atone and so create in himself one man in place of the two. And so the two are always the man that I am and the man that I want to be. If the man that I want to be is in conflict with the man that I am, and it must be if I want to be it, I'm confessing I'm not it. The minute I want to be something, I'm confessing I'm not that. Therefore, there's war, there's conflict. And so, I must create in myself one new man in the place of the two. So when I go to bed this night, I must dare to assume that I am the man that, at the moment my reason denies, my senses deny. And how do I know that I'm in it? Just how would I know that I'm really in this state and I brought about this one new man in myself? By looking at the world. If I don't see the world as I would see it, were I the man that I want to be, then I'm not in that state. I haven't yet created in myself the one new man. But if tonight I assume, and I assume the virtue of you, have it not, that virtue may be any kind of virtue. So I assume that I am and I name it, and then I look at my world, my frame of reference, to reflect confirmation of the man that I want to be. I will see then on the faces of my friends expressions implying that they see in me the man that I want the world to see. So I will hear them speak about me. I will see them and just see that face reflecting what I am. Then I am in it. <clears throat> and so I tried to tell this in a strange way, saying, thinking from what you want instead of thinking of what you want. If I think of what I want, I'm in conflict because I'm not there. If I think of and I really want it, then the being thinking from and thinking of 
what he wants, these two are in conflict. I must resolve it so that when I think of, and it's really something that I want to realize, I must resolve it and create in myself the one new man. So it becomes a state from which I think, and then I think from it instead of thinking of it. If you do it this way, it works. But how it works, no one knows. No one could devise the means employed by that state from which you think to bring it to pass. I could not, on reflection, have devised the means employed to bring about the state that I had realized in my world. I couldn't. I would not be wise enough as a normal person to actually devise the means. But man, not knowing this, he goes out trying to work out the means instead of applying God's law. God's law is you cannot do it unless you do it by the shedding of blood. So you give up what you are what you are to become what you want to be, and that's dying. So you die to one state, and you live to another state. So without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, and yet I'm invited to remit sin to forgive it. So I can take the words now, atonement, forgiveness, remission, all these things, and put them and call them really synonyms. They're all one. If I forgive, what is the challenge to a man to forgive? It challenges a man's ability to enter into and partake of the nature of the opposite state of consciousness. I'll forgive you, forgive myself. So I take myself, I'll forgive myself for being today, and I'll name it. Then what would be the solution of my present problem? All right, can I assume that I'm now it? It challenges my ability to enter into that state to the point where when I view the former state, it's a something away behind me. It's something that was. I can say today I remember when, remember when what? When I was not that. I remember when someone told me you will never in eternity earn a dollar using your voice. That's a fact. That was in my school. I went to school and she said to me, you know you'll never, you're the one in the class of 40, and listen to Neville, he will never be able to earn a dollar using his voice. So use him as an example and see what you should avoid. And so they are really using their voices in, to order a meal or to sell a shirt at Macy's. They are using their voices, but she was wrong there too. But they're not using their voices in the theatrical world where we are, where we all hoped one day to use it. It was a little theatrical school in New York City. And I was singled out as a horrible example of things that one should not do. Well, then I began to apply this law to assume that I am the man that I want to be. And then let things happen. I could, have, I could not have devised it. I took no more lessons, I assure you. When I left there, that was the end of my schooling. And so, I never once took a lesson in the use of the voice. It just happened that I had something to say and then I said it. That's all that matters. Whether I said it correctly, I mean in the proper use of words, made no difference to me once I said it. But I said it with feeling because I had experienced it. So I wasn't trying to become a church in the use of words. I wasn't trying to become some great user of words. Just to be normal and to tell it as clearly, and with all the feeling I possibly could muster. For I knew that I had experienced it. And if I could tell it with feeling, I would persuade others to try it. And so I tell you, you don't have to have anything more than you have now. Just a dream. A dream of something other than what you are. Some noble dream. 
then this night believe the great bard. Assume a virtue if you have not. Refrain tonight, and that shall lend a kind of easiness to the next abstinence and the next more easy. For you, for you, for use, almost can change the stamp of nature. And in my own case, I completely changed the scene. It changed my stamp of nature. For I certainly was not stamped with this, but I desired to tell it, and they went, or and then went out to tell it. The first time I started, six people came, all through sympathy. I sent out fifty penny postcard or postal cards. In those days, there was such a thing as a penny card, and I sent out the large amount of fifty cent, uh, fifty cents worth. Out of the fifty, my friends, all of the theatrical world, six came, and six came just because they were sympathetic. They came almost to pay their respects. Because there were only six in the place that could have taken care of fifty, they either were embarrassed, but whether embarrassed or not, these were embarrassed out of a dollar bill. Because I didn't charge, didn't have the courage to charge, and so you passed the basket among the six. When I saw only six, they each gave a dollar. And so that paid the rent. And I started that way and never turned back, every night dreaming my dream of telling this story. Then six months later, a man who was in the same building speaking to an enormous crowd, all things being relative, I spoke to six. And when he invited me, oh, six months later, I had grown to 20. And so he had an enormous audience of, of about 600 people. And he thought that he would simply snuff me out by inviting me to take the platform. So I took the platform and he paid me the large amount of $25 for that night to take his platform and talk to his 600. I learned afterwards he invited me for one purpose, that when I faced his audience, I would be so nervous they would see that he's not the one to visit anymore. And so he rubbed me out completely. But may I tell you what happened? The very night I spoke upstairs in my little place at 50, and I got 200 of his. They were all down the hallway, and then they kept on coming night after night. I spoke twice a week then, and so they came. I had no place for them, and the management in Steinway Hall said, You can't continue this way. I'm getting all kinds of complaints because they're all in the hallway. I must rent you a bigger place. I said, All right, rent me a bigger place. He rented me a bigger, and it still overflowed, and overflowed and overflowed, until finally we had to move out of Steinway Hall. So it all started by my dream. I simply went to bed, assuming a virtue that I did not possess, I assumed it and assumed it and assumed it. So I tell you, that imagination will not do a thing for us until we have imagined the wish fulfilled. Just like a little child, it cannot be compelled. It must be persuaded. The child must be persuaded. You can't compel it. It resents it. Well, imagination is just like that. And in all the stories of Christ, he's always depicted as a little child. And a little child shall lead them. Or shall lead them. And just like a child, it must be persuaded, not compelled. And so, this night, I can't compel myself to believe something. I must pretend it's true. And play the game of pretending, and assume it, and assume it. If I dare to assume that I am what I at the moment reason denies, and my senses deny and fall asleep in that assumption, just as though it were true, may I tell you, from experience, it becomes true. On reflection, when you look back and see how it worked out, you could never have devised the means employed to bring it to pass. You never could have done it. I could never have thought of the means of being invited by this man to take his audience. It came suddenly. 
he sent his secretary downstairs to invite me to come upstairs on a Thursday night, which was my night off. I spoke on Wednesdays and Fridays, and he sent this lady downstairs and asked me to come upstairs the following night because he had to go to Washington. It was true, he did. He had to go to Washington. And he was the honored guest at one of the great meetings. And so this was a great night of the banquet, and he was the honored guest. And so I took his platform, and naturally I was very happy to do it, but I didn't realize the consequences. If I had been sleeping in my dream, and this is how it worked. <coughs> Excuse me. So it didn't work out as he had plotted it. He was used by my imagination to bring it to pass, because all of us are interwoven. All things by a law divine in one another's being mingled. So that if I am assuming that I am what I want to be, I don't need your permission. Your consent to use you if you can be used to bring my assumption to pass. I'll use you and a billion like you if it takes a billion to bring it to pass. Therefore, when you look in the morning's press and you see these strange things, don't be disturbed. It happened because someone is dreaming. Did you read last week's Life magazine of MacArthur? I did. I'm very interested in the man, and I read the and I read the story of General MacArthur. But the very end, the very last paragraph, when he was leaving West Point, he quoted that the general who addressed this fine body of men said, "He said, before you take off that uniform, you will be at war. It is always so. It's part of the tradition of our country. You will be at war. Therefore, prepare your nation for that war." He quotes it just as a man said to him. Well, if everybody that graduates from that great group of men are addressed in that manner, go out and prepare yourself first, and prepare your community and then your state and your country for the inevitable war. What do you expect? It's all imagination. Imagination creates reality. The whole vast world is God made visible, and God became man that man may become God. He has sunk in us as our own wonderful human imagination. So what are we doing with our imaginations? I tell you that the story of Scripture is true. I stand before you as a witness to it. I have experienced the story of Christ Jesus. Everything said about him in Scripture has happened in the soul of my being. Everything, from his resurrection to his birth, the discovery of the fatherhood of God, and the ascent into heaven, and the descent of the dove. Which is, symbol, which is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Everything recorded I have experienced. That comes in the depth of the soul. But these same experiences lifted to the psychological level can be invaluable here in the world of Caesar. You and I can take it in the world of Caesar and do the most fantastic things with it. On the highest level, the level of John who wears the outer garment of skin and hair you've outgrown. You need not do that. Not stalking of a bird to redeem yourself, no killing of a bullock or a lamb or a ram and offering it to redeem yourself. That's on the very surface of it all. But below it, on that psychological level, you can use it to the most marvelous state in this world. Take every person that you know and without their consent represent them to yourself as being what you would like them to be and see them actually become it. See them become it. Like my friend who went to San Francisco, Freedom. Total stranger on the street was asking for money, and he doesn't give him money. But in his mind's eye, he sees the man gainfully employed. He refuses the money, but sees him gainfully employed. And then when he is satisfied, 
that this imaginal act is true, he goes up on his way. And then four months later, that same man is coming down the street, <clears throat> comes up to my friend Freedom, extends his hand and says, I don't suppose you remember me. Oh, yes, I do. And then said the man to my, free, my friend Freedom, I want to thank you for not giving me the money that I asked you for four months ago. For had you given me that money, it would today be asking, or I would today be asking for money. Because you didn't give it to me. I went out that very day and got myself a job. I'm still on that job and I'm now gainfully employed. And it has great possibilities of growth in this world. And he thanked him for it, the total stranger. But he knew the art of forgiveness. How to actually create in himself one new man instead of this conflict. A man begging for money. No, I'll create in myself one new man. A man who is gainfully employed. So I say everyone can do it. You are a disciple. Don't think that the disciples from Peter down to Judas are the twelve disciples. Read the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. Both women and men, if they really accept this way of life, they are disciples. Anyone who accepts the way of life, and this is the way of life, they're called the people of the way. We take the phrase, the people of the way, and we now give it the name of Christ. It's a lovely name. To me, it's a beautiful name. The word Christ means Messiah. It is the way of salvation. But it is the way of salvation, not a being outside of yourself who saves. For listen to these words from the 43rd of Isaiah. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And besides me, there is no Savior. I know not any. Verses 3, 11, 3 and 11. There is no Savior besides the Holy One of Israel, and His name is I Am. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. So the I am within you is the great being that sunk himself in you and became you. He's your own wonderful human imagination. And you try it. Try it sincerely. If tomorrow you don't get the fruit, so what? Let me quote that lovely passage from Habakkuk. The vision has its own appointed hour. It ripens, it will flower. If it be long, then wait, for it is sure, and it will not be late. Verses 2, 3. So the vision, your vision of yourself, you want to be, and you name it. All right, you drop a seed into the ground today. It could be a little acorn. It could be a corn. It could be some other kind of seed. And every seed has its own appointed hour. One will grow overnight. One will grow in a week. One will grow in a month. And one will grow in a year. But it has its own appointed hour. And it ripens and it will flower. If it seems to you long wait, for it is sure and it will not be late. Now for itself, all things bring forth after their kind. That's part of the eternal plan. The identical harvest, Genesis 1.11. You can't plant one thing and expect to grow something other than what you planted. And so whatever you plant, you plant, or you plant it in your own wonderful imagination by assuming that you are what you want to be. So he comes into our world and disturbs it. Had he not come into my world and told me that I am not really anchored to the environment in which I was born, that I could transcend it, well then I would have no ambition to be other than what I was at birth and remain in that environment. For when Christ comes into the world, he comes not to bring peace, but a sword. He disturbs the whole vast world when he comes. And then he shows man how in himself to bring peace. How to create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. But at first you can't make peace 
unless first there is war. So he makes war first and then shows you how he is going to make peace. He disturbs you that you may be other than what you seem to be and then shows you how to make peace, how to bring about one new man instead of two. Now let us go into the silence. All right, so there we have Noble Goddard's lecture titled Binding and Loosing from 1964. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Have a wonderful day depending or evening, depending on where you are in the world. And I will see you guys in the next episode. All right, have a wonderful day. Bye.